Amen. You can have a seat. Glad you're here. Welcome. I hope that you've already just been tremendously blessed as, as I have over the last few moments as we've worshiped together. We're finishing up a series this week. Uh, if you don't know what a series is, it's, a, it's kind of a, a couple weeks that we string together of some teaching. And, um, and we're finishing up one this week. It's called The Art of Neighboring. We've been uh, working on this for the past three weeks. This will be week number four. And um, next week we have something very special planned for you, so be sure to make sure you're here. Uh, make sure you invite somebody, bring somebody. Next week is going to be, uh, it's called Four Greenwood Sunday, and we're really excited about this. Uh, what's going to happen is we're going to have an opportunity to spend some time getting to know some of our strategic partners, uh, some of the different organizations that, we, that are in the community that we partnered with. Uh, that, that we recognize uh, what they do, why they do it, how they do it. And we said, you know what, uh, that this is right alongside of our mission, our mission and our vision, and we want to we partner with you in this. And so uh, they're going to be here. We're going to have uh, almost all of them, I think, here with us next week. And they're going to be able to share a little bit, uh, cast some of their vision and their goals for the community. We're going to have an opportunity to hear uh, firsthand what these organizations are doing and, and how we can better partner with them, how we can come alongside them. And uh, so also be here early as well because they're going to have some stuff set up in the lobby. So you'll be able to go and check out some different things before we even come into here. So uh, that's going to be great. After that, we're moving into a new series for the month of March uh, called The Journey to the Empty Tomb. And, uh, and, and over the course of March, we're going to walk through the very last week of Christ's ministry here on this earth uh, before, uh, before the cross. And then obviously on Easter, it'll all culminate on Easter Sunday where we get to celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be an incredible time. Uh, so go ahead and begin thinking about who you're going to invite, who you're going to get here. Uh, we want to pack this room out. We want to fill this place up uh, with the praises of our Father. And so it's going to be an amazing, amazing time. So looking forward to that. As we talked about for the last three weeks, Jesus says that the whole of God's law, everything, if we took everything and boiled it down to uh, what is the very best, what is the thing, uh, what is the greatest commandment uh, is what scripture even uses. We've, we've said it can be summarized by two, really two great commands, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind, right? And then the second is this, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. And all of scripture, really, uh, all of God's directives, all that we are called to do as believers, as Christians, it can be boiled down to really these two things. Everything kind of passes through the lens of these two things, all right? And this is what we're going to wrap our, our, our minds and souls around. This is, these are the necessities of life. You cannot have one without the other. Well, you could love your neighbor and not love God, but I believe that you cannot love God and not love your neighbor. All right, that's, that's impossible. It can't happen. In fact, Jesus was asked this question in Mark 12. We read that, I believe, on the first week, and he responded uh, with, with what we just said. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, uh, all of your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. He, he responded with that, and then he said this. He said, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other, he finishes it, there is no other commandment singular than these plural. All right, he uses a singular and a plural in the same sentence. That doesn't make sense. If you're a grammar uh, nerd, then you know that doesn't work. That doesn't make sense. But he's saying, you know what, these two go together. You can't have one without the other. You've got, if you do this, it's all one commandment. You have to do both of these things. They're that important. Jesus says they go together. They're intertwined. They're inseparable. They're indivisible. And if you say you love God but do not love your neighbor, John actually tells us then a little bit later on that you're a liar. I mean, he just lays it flat out there. 
If you say you love God and you do not love your neighbor, you do not love people, you're absolutely, unequivocally a liar. So the verse of this series has been John 13, 35. We're just going to show it up on the screen. Uh, This is kind of the key verse for everything. Memorize this, write it down, put it in your notebook, put it in your car, put it on your mirror, whatever you have to do, because this is crucial. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Man, I was crying. I was like, it's not everywhere. All right. God. Okay. This is important. This is, this is the verse. All right, this is crucial. Some people have life verses, right? Some people have these, these verses that they say, like, this is a, a really important verse in my life. Or maybe you have like seasonal verses, like this verse kind of got me through this time and then God brought this verse to mind and this verse helped me at this time. And, 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 and you might have all of those, but I want to encourage everybody, make this your life verse. Because this is how people will know if you love each other. And the question I've been asking and hopefully you've been thinking about is, what if we, all of us in this room, everybody listening online, all of us, what if we actually sought to follow the great command of Jesus to love our neighbors? What if? All of our neighbors. What if we actually decided, all of us right now, collectively in this room, to do this? What an impact it would make. I believe that we could absolutely turn this city upside down for Jesus. People will be blown away by the love of Christ. We would see revival in our own backyard and at our fence lines and at our doorsteps, and God would be glorified in this city if we actually just committed to doing this. So the challenge naturally starts with getting to know them, right? We kind of went through some of this. I'm just going to kind of do a little recap. Basically, the message for today as we're going to walk through this is going to be a little bit of a recap of some of the stuff. I'm going to do that for, the, for a couple minutes and just kind of fill everybody in on where we've been for the last few weeks. And, and then uh, we're going to go into just a little bit of a practical, I think this is more practical application. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm usually... I usually have a kind of a big block of text, and I like to, to exegete that test, text and walk through it uh, sort of step by step. We're not going to kind of do that today. It's going to be a little more topical and then a little bit more, uh, a little bit more practical, but, but I, hope, uh, I hope it's beneficial, and I, and I believe it will be if we lean into this and we understand these promises and, and these commands that God has given us. So, so the, we have to get to know them, right? <clears throat> a few weeks ago, we talked about the importance of getting to know names. We handed out some, some neighborhood block maps. Did everybody get one of those? I think there's some more out there actually on the tables. If you didn't get one of those, uh, basically it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a magnet that you're going to put on your fridge and it has your house in the middle and then it has eight squares around it and it allows you to basically visualize your neighborhood, your neighbors, your actual literal physical neighbors and it allows you to, to write in their names and you get to kind of get to know them a little bit in that way. So, so we gave those out the first week and let me just get a, did, how many of you added two names to that, to that list over the last couple weeks? See a couple of hands, awesome. Very good. Now, some of you, how many of you knew like already like knew like half your neighbors? That's good. I hope so. I hope so. I hope some of us knew some of our neighbors. I hope we don't live complete in isolation, but I hope some of us knew some of our neighbors. So hopefully you've added some names to that. Hopefully over the course of the last four weeks, you've you've taken that and you've actually added some names. And, and this is part of the challenge. We cannot get to know our neighbors and, and, and meet their needs and serve them well if we don't even know their names. So step one is learn their names. But two weeks ago, we talked about why we tend to not love and serve our neighbors. We gave a list of those, if you remember that. 
we, we gave some reasons why we tend to just not even try to get to know them at all. We just shy away from that completely. And we said uh, among those things that the biggest contributors were fear, apathy, and laziness, and time. And then last week, Brandon Henson brought a really good word by discussing uh, one that I think hits home for probably most of us, and that's time. We got some jelly beans. Anybody get those jelly beans? Yeah, I've, got, I've actually got all the leftover jelly beans at my house, and it's a bad idea. I should have brought them this morning because I have eaten so many jelly beans this week. This morning, with our remaining time, I want to talk about something that should work its way into our vocabulary and into our day-to-day lives, something called hospitality. So, the, so if you're taking notes, if you're writing things down, I guess the, the title of the message this morning would be The Value of Hospitality. If we were taking a poll, asking an example, if I said, if I said to all of you, hey, give me an example of hospitality. What does hospitality uh, mean to you? Who, who does hospitality in your mind? I think some might refer to hotel staff. Right, people who are cleaners and bellhops and concierge, concierges, and, and hotels are considered to be in the hospitality uh, business, right? Whenever you think about it, that, that's how they're classified as a, as a hospitality business. And some might refer to our host team, you know, the people that, the awesome uh, people that were out there waving signs at you as you walked in and opening the door and pouring your coffee and, and helping you get into this room and into this spot right now, the, our host team, and you think of them as hospitality. Others might get more personal and specific and think of having people in your home and feeding them and, and entertaining them and making them feel comfortable as hospitality. That might be where your mind goes. And while all of that can reflect something about hospitality, when we consider the life of Jesus, the many times he gathered for ministry, many of which were over mills, let me ask us this. What was more powerful and prophetic in the way Jesus lived and shared life with others? Was it the menu or the guest list? Was it the menu or the guest list? What was really significant about the way Jesus gathered with others? Was it what he did or who he was with? The menu or the guest list? Church, as we look back at the life of Jesus, and you understand that this is something that we have to do daily, right? We have to continue looking back at the life of Jesus. He came to this earth to be a sacrifice on our behalf, yes, but he also set the bar to be an example. We have to look at everything in our life with a Jesus-shaped lens. To quote a popular armband from the 1990s, we have to ask, what would Jesus do, right? What would, anybody have one of those? Do you still have one of those? Yes, there's like four hands. You guys are my heroes. We have to see what he did in his life, what his actions were, and, and, and how his actions impacted others. And we have to look at that church. Jesus always made it about the people. Why? Because he loves people to the point of dying for us. Are people important to Jesus? Yes, unequivocally, absolutely. And it's that love of people, that attention to their needs, that is at the heart of hospitality. So Jesus used homes and meals to define his ministry and show love for people and, and would declare where, where two or more gathered in my name, I am there. Where was he? Where, where was God? He was eating meals with peasants and prostitutes. He was breaking bread, sharing conversation, having their feet washed, dancing and drinking at a wedding. I'm sure you know that in the early Jewish culture, sharing a meal with somebody was one of uh, the most intimate forms of expression of fellowship that you could have. It was, it, was a huge it was a huge expression of fellowship. 
And to do so with the people that Jesus chose to interact with was such a, a sharp contrast to the religious leaders of the day and what they were saying. It was very different. Let's read this out of Luke chapter 5. Give you some context here to what I'm talking about. Luke 5, 27 uh, through 29. After this, he, this Jesus, went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. Good conversation started. And after leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. You have to understand that this was offensive. This was heavily offensive. Tax collectors. You know, in Matthew 18, when someone is kicked out of the church, all right, whenever somebody's kicked out of the church, uh, they are to be treated as pagans and tax collectors, the word says. Just lumps tax collectors in there with pagans, just assumes they're tax collectors, so they must be pagans. And we're going to treat them as if they don't belong in the church. In Mark 2, the Pharisees asked Jesus why he's spending time with tax collectors and sinners. Just goes ahead and lumps those two together. Tax collectors have a pretty raw deal. I mean, I know people in here are the biggest fans of the IRS, but man, they had it rough. We, we at least know the IRS people, the agents are humans, right? We, we know that they are people. To them, they were, they, were, they were dogs. They were just, nobody was interested in hanging out with tax collectors. And in fact, it was downright offensive to hang out with tax collectors. But Jesus, but Jesus, man, he went right for them. He saw the need. He saw that they needed love. He saw that they needed help. And just like the Good Samaritan stopped on the side of the road and helped the traveler with his wounds, Jesus sees the need and goes after the, the tax collectors. He goes after the people that everyone else hates. He goes right up and helps them. I hope you understand that, that what I'm saying here is that eating with Levi, this would have offended all of the religious leaders of the time because they were not interested in eating with Levi. They were not interested in being roped into eating with some peasants and tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. And they also knew that accepting an invitation to someone's home, sharing a meal with them, implied that they could be included in one's life. And they weren't about that. That interaction could define the relationship or even create one where one wasn't wanted. And that's where the religious leaders were standing on that. So I want you to write this down. I want you to think about this. Hospitality has the power to define relationships. To define relationships. Just by eating with these people, a relationship was implied. You see, Jesus, he understood this. And he's trying to help us to understand this as well. Hospitality has the power to define relationships. Because I, I, how? How is that possible? Because with hospitality, we're communicating that my life, my existence, who I am, am is not better than who you are. All right? I'm no better than you. I am, I am the same as you. I am totally fine identifying myself with you. A phrase you'll hear all the time around here is that as a church, uh, we want to be inclusive, not exclusive. All right? Hospitality opens us up to including others in our lives and including us in their lives. And that's precisely why it was so shocking and controversial to some and even life-changing 
to others. When I think back to Cornelius and Peter, and I know some of you might not know the story, but Peter, one of the first disciples, he, he is called to the home of a Roman centurion, uh, a Gentile, a non-Jew, somebody that you don't fraternize with, somebody that you de definitely do not go into their house. You don't enter their home. You don't have a meal with them. Uh, this is, the, uh, you, you talk to each other on the road as needed at best. That's it, all right? And so, so Peter is told to, to go to this person's house, and, and it became the defining moment for what God was trying to do at that time. One of the, the more defining moments for the, the transition from, from God is for the Jews and the Israelites to God is for everybody. And how he began to make that transition and make that move, all right? And so, so here's what happens. He, this is in Acts chapter 10 if you want to go back and check this out later. He's changing the mindset and the culture of people in this chapter. It's amazing. Could Peter as a Jew enter this Gentile's home? That was the question that, that really was up for debate. That was the topic. And, and could this power powerful Roman authority welcome what the Jewish man had to offer because they knew all right they they knew and they they weren't interested in hanging out with with these other people as well it was it, it, I mean the tension went back and forth and so God led Peter through these tensions and into that home and church the very next day the whole family was welcomed in God's family the whole process was about Peter choosing to enter into this home and God's glory shown through that hospitable act. In fact, going into the home was, in fact, part of the message. Hospitality defines the relationship. And this is why true hospitality is, is not simply uh, what we welcome others into, but, but also entering into the space and grace they open up to us as well. That's what Peter did. He, it wasn't just all about Peter getting over his fears, getting over his upbringing, getting over the the. Uh, uh, the, the, the popular concepts of the time, getting over those and moving beyond that, and it finally just stepping foot over that threshold. It wasn't just about that. What it was about was also the Roman letting him in, and it was also about him being willing to step into that, him being willing to move into his context instead of saying, all right, all right, I'll meet with the Roman, but he's got to come over here to the temple. All right, I'll have a chat with this guy, but he's got to come meet me where I'm at. This, again, is why us as a church, as much as we like welcoming new people in and we always love seeing new faces and, and guests and we'll rejoice when the lost come and, and, and come and are found in Christ Jesus in the seats of this movie theater. But part of our mission, part of our charge, part of the vision that God has placed over this church is to go to the people and meet them where they are. Go and meet them where they are. Sure, come to church, but whether you do or don't, that's not going to stop us from serving you. That's not going to stop us from loving you and showing you hospitality. But again, we certainly do love our guests, whether you're involved with another church and are just stopping by for the day, welcome. You are loved. Whether you've been away from church for some years, maybe you've been hurt by the church, maybe you've been hurt by people in the church, or maybe you just got wrapped up in the world and, and walked away at some point, welcome. You are loved. Maybe you don't know Jesus at all. Maybe you just decided to pop in here and, and check us out and see what's going on. Maybe you heard about a church in the movie theater and wanted to see if it was some sort of weird cult that worships film or something, and you never know. I think there's a church of Chevy Chase or something like that. That's kind of weird, but um, you never know. You never know. Whether that's you, welcome. You are loved. No matter where, who you are, no matter why you're here, you're here now, and you are loved and you are included in all that God's doing in this house at this moment because the value of hospitality lies in the significance of inclusion. 
The value of hospitality lies in the significance of inclusion. All right, hospitality is an expression of inclusion. It's bringing others into the fold, opening our hearts and our doors to other people, allowing people to come into your personal bubble, get up in your life, and include them in the conversation. That's all significant. And while it can certainly refer to how we welcome those into uh, our homes that we may already know, welcome others into our lives that we already know, it's really defined by how we welcome those who are new or newer to our lives, the guest, the stranger. Does anybody know what a word study is? Oh, okay, there's a couple of hands, awesome. Uh, so a word study <clears throat> is something that, uh, I mean, it could be called, it could be, in other contexts as well, but a word study and what I'm referring to it as is something that pastors do or should do in order to better grasp and understand a word found in scripture. All right, if we truly believe that the word of God is inerrant and infallible and, and it's inspired by God himself, then every word in this book is important, right? Amen? Okay, every word is important. Understanding the original meaning and the original language and comparing it with the cultural context of the time helps us to understand a little bit better what God might be implying beyond the word itself. It's fun. You should do it sometime. I have a lot of books. You can go to town. All right, the word hospitality. There's a few nuggets to think about. Help put it all into perspective. First, we need to know that the English word we use is not the original word in the Greek. I'm sure you know that, but I'm just going to throw that out there anyways. The Greek word for hospitality is philozena. It's a Greek compound word. All right, philo means love, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Philozenia means the love of xenos. A xenos is a stranger, so it's the love of a stranger. So the idea of hospitality literally is to love a stranger. The Latin root word for the word we use now, the word hospitality as it's written now, all right, translated from the Greek, the idea translated from the Greek into an English word that's, that's parallel, that, that kind of matches up, that word, <clears throat> the Latin root of that word is hospice, which refers to a guest, a visitor, a stranger. Our word hospital is actually pulled from that same root word. And for comparison, the word hostility comes from its opposite, hostis which means a stranger in the context of a foreigner or an enemy. So I was reading this, this book called uh, 19 Gifts of the Spirit by an author, Leslie Finn, and um, has a solid history about the English word hospitality. Uh, it goes through, obviously, hospitality is one of the spiritual gifts. You, you can be a, more hospitable than somebody else because you might have that spiritual gift and leaning in that area. Uh, so she kind of goes through this, but she says, she says this, and I just want to share her, her little piece here because it, I think it really, this ultimately helps put it into perspective. The main part of the word hospitality is the word hospital. Ancient travelers, whether pilgrims, businessmen, uh, fared poorly when venturing beyond their own country. Thus, religious leaders established international guest houses in the 5th century. These havens were called hospices, from the Latin word hospice. It's Latin for guest. During the 15th century, secular interests took over most entertaining of travelers. Right, so it's about 10 centuries there that, that things were going well. And then, and then in the 15th century, secular interests took over the entertaining of travelers. So the hospital restricted its function to care and treatment of the sick and handicapped only. But originally, hospital meant a haven for guests. Man, have we ever lost that concept today as a society? 
as a people, as a culture. We've taken what was meant to be a haven for guests and we've turned it into a haven from guests. Too often our homes are places where we can go to get away from people. And so many of you know what I'm talking about. I'm stepping, I might be stepping on, on toes here, but your home is your stronghold. It's your safe haven. You spend time with the people all day. Your home is where you can go to not be with people. It's where you can go to kick off the shoes, unbutton the zipper, unbutton the fly, whatever it is you do. I don't know how you would unbutton the zipper, but <laughs> button fly jeans maybe. Thank you. We're like this though. We think, uh, you know what? I ministered out there. I talked to somebody at lunch about Jesus. I asked them where they went to church. I didn't talk to them about Jesus. I asked them where they went to church. It's got kind of got halfway there. But I ministered out there. But when I'm home, that's where I kick back and relax. That's where I, I grab a beer and watch five hours of Netflix. You guys know what I'm talking about. Another pastor puts it this way. I love this. Another pastor puts it this way. In modern urban America, our home is often our final line of defense against the world. At the end of a hard day, you rush through the maddening crowds. Obviously, he didn't live in Greenwood. To get home by nightfall. <clears throat> once, once inside your castle, you grab the rope and begin pulling up the drawbridge. You push a button and water fills the moat around your house and out come the piranhas. That's probably some people in here, right? Drinking water with this microphone is impossible. I feel accomplished. Church, I want you to hear me loud and clear because there is no wiggle room with this. I believe 100% that this is what God is calling all believers to do. If you love God and, and you love people, by this all will know that you're my disciples, all right? How you love one another. Church, we need to remember the power of hospitality. We need to know that we should lower our, our, we should lower our fences. We should lower our gates. We should tear down our walls and we should reopen some doors. Jesus pressed the point of inclusion in all that he did. It was his greatest offense, to be honest. One night while having dinner at one of the religious leaders' homes, this is, I want to read this out of Luke 14. All right, this one night while having dinner at one of the religious leaders' homes, he said to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner, the, he's talking to the host, mind you. This is Jesus. When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. What a punch in the gut that is. Thanks, Jesus. Now I feel real guilty. Now I'm thinking about every party, every gathering, everything I've ever had, and I'm wondering why I did not invite more Beggars, lame, blind, everything. Like, why did not I bring more crippled people into my home? I'm starting to think about this. And I think that is the intent. I think part of the intent is to make us think about it, make us consider it, make us understand that this is important. I don't believe that this verse is telling us to never have your friends over. That would be silly because Jesus met with friends all the time. It's saying, I think the word, this, this version actually doesn't have it. Uh, when you give a dinner ba or banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers. 
It, it actually, the, the intent of that verse goes a little bit better. Do not always invite your friends or your, or your uh, brothers or relatives or rich neighbors. So it actually words a little bit better like that. Jesus is not saying don't ever get together with family and friends. He did this, all right? He did this to the point, but, but his point to, be, uh, to not be exclusive remains. That's kind of where he's going with this. Do not be exclusive, be inclusive. Bring other people in. Reach out to the masses. Reach out to specific people even. He gives us kind of a list there of who to reach out to. If you want to share in what God is doing, this is, don't, don't restrict your guest list. Don't, don't hold back invitations. Don't restrict your guest list to those you already know and like and are your friends or your family members. Don't do that. Look at the bigger picture, the wider potential. For Jesus, the distinctive of hospitality is, is, is not that you only open up your home and your life to friends but that you already know, but that you, that you open up your home and your life to a stranger. The people you don't know, like the Good Samaritan on the side of the road, that's the example set before us. Now, obviously, you need to be safe. Like, don't just go, like, bring in the random person uh, hanging out by your car shady after church here. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you need to use caution and you use wise judgment. But, but we need to do this. We need to get to the place where, where we're not just in our holy huddles. And we need to get to the place where we're actually reaching out. We're bringing other people in. We're, we're, we're loving on other people. Hospitality was in Scripture and is here at Legacy City, just so you know, a criterion for choosing elders. No one can be considered a leader if they don't show hospitality. This comes straight out of Scripture, 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1, 7 and 8. It was a commandment given to all Christians, and hospitality is a standard by which you and I will, I believe, be judged eternally. Christ even pointed to the practice of hospitality as evidence that we have come to know him as a savior and a lack of hospitality as evidence that we haven't. It's said, there's a, there's a popular quote out there that says, Christianity was and still should be the religion of the open door. Is it still that? Is it still the religion of the open door? Or have we closed that door a little bit? Have we closed that door a lot? Have you personally, in your own personal life and ministry, have you closed that door? I don't have to beat this drum all day long. Obviously, I think uh, nobody in here is going to deny that hospitality is not crucial. It is critical. It is important. It is something that Jesus talks a lot about. It's, it's honestly being like Jesus, which is what we need to be doing. So, so if you agree with me, look at your neighbor and tell them to be hospitable. All right. Sounds like we're all in agreement with this. All right, so very quickly, I want to run through a few principles then. I want to finish this up with uh, just a little bit of practical application, a few principles that you can walk away with, some principles uh, for, for joining in the power of hospitality. Is that what that says? No, for maximizing the value. Man, I got an old edit right here. All right. I knew that wasn't right. I, I, I just felt in my heart that that wasn't right. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hospitality, number one, I'm going to look at this one too. Hospitality, number one, flows from God. It flows from God. The whole Bible is the story, understand this, church, the whole Bible is the story of divine hospitality. If hospitality is inclusivity, it's inclusiveness, bringing others in, that's what the word is about. Because it's the story of God's invitation defined by inclusion. God wants that all should know him and all have eternal life. All 
That's so inclusive. That includes everybody. For God so loved the world, the whole world, all people, all races, all genders. For God loves each and every person who has lived, is living, and will ever live. That's why he sent his only son, so that we may have eternal life, that we may be included into the kingdom of heaven. You know, our tendency is to think about, I think, I think our tendency is to think about what we have to do as individuals to make this a hospitable environment for people, to make our home, to make our church, to make our workplace, to make our neighborhood a hospitable environment for people. But church, understand this, that environment already exists. It's the very life that Jesus extends to us, invites us to enter into and enjoy. God is inclusive and his nature is so hospitable that while we were still strangers, while we were yet enemies, he still died, to, died for us. The Bible reflects the understanding that truth is exclusive, all right? Truth is exclusive. I want you to hear that. But love is not. Hospitality is not. Generosity is not. Friendship is not. Caring is not exclusive. Neighboring is not exclusive. So my prayer is that you would allow your heart to overflow from God's hospitality toward you, that you can change your heart posture from the motivation of, of obligation to that of overflowing from what God is doing in your life. We need to change our heart posture. Number two, hospitality includes, but is not limited by, our homes. This is a big one. Because I know this entire time, maybe, maybe this morning or maybe this entire series, as we've been talking, someone has been feeling a little guilty about not showing hospitality to others in a way of not allowing them into their homes. But you've been torn because you see you have three kids and five pets and a cousin between jobs living with you and your house is a wreck 24-7. I feel your pain. Every time we turn around, there's a new picture drawn on the wall in permanent marker. I don't get it. I don't, I don't know how much discipline we can dole out to make a child understand. <laughs> do not do this. I feel like every time I walk into the guest bathroom, it hasn't been, toilet hasn't been flushed in three days. I don't understand why this happens. It doesn't make sense to me. And there's constantly piles of dog hair in every corner of my house five minutes after we swept. Five minutes. So I feel you. But I think it's important to not reduce hospitality simply to our homes or even to the need to have a home for that matter. There are so many other ways we can extend ourselves to others. All right, think about the life events and the transitions that people go through. Somebody's moving in. They're, they're moving into a new house or they're moving out of the house. They're getting married or they're having a child. They're starting a new job. All of these offer opportunities for us to connect in love and show hospitality to our neighbor. You could take someone to lunch, coffee. I use aromas as my de facto office meeting space every day. It works perfectly. All right, we're talking about our neighbors in our neighborhoods. You don't have to bring them into your home right away. You don't have to go right for the house if you don't want to or aren't able to. Chat on the lawn, chat by the fence, chat by the mailbox. All right? Number three, we're gonna speak through this last two. Hospitality values the special, but is centered in the simple. It values the special, the special is cool, but is centered in the simple. Jesus tells us of banquets, like in Luke 14, 
but he also tells us of, of basics, such as just giving a cup of cold water to someone when they're thirsty, like in Matthew 25. You can go big or you can go small. The glory is God's either way. So your house is too messy, it's too small, it's not decorated well enough, I only have one bathroom. Okay. There's a saying that goes like this, God won't ask the square footage of your house, he'll ask how many people you welcomed into your home. It's the simple stuff. All right, it's the simple stuff. Also, don't confuse, this is just a, this is just a clarification note, don't confuse hospitality with entertaining. It's not actually the same thing. I want you to understand that entertaining can focus on making a special setting. Ensure there are times for it. Hospitality, on the other hand, is inviting people into your life just as you are. Hospitality is walking into the living room two steps ahead of your guests and kicking the toys out of the way so they won't trip and fall. All right? Hospitality is sharing whatever you're having, even if it's just leftover spaghetti and microwave pizza. Hospitality is real life. And therefore, by necessity, hospitality is humble. Because if we open up our homes and open up our lives to people to minister to their needs, some of the messiness of our own lives is going to be exposed. We're going to be exposed a little bit, and that's okay. Because hospitality has to come before our pride. Honestly, I think most people feel more welcomed, and, and Jen has kind of helped me with this because I'm I, I'm kind of like I want the house in order and I want things done and, and dust gone and no cobwebs and, and no dishes. And like I'm, I'm kind of like that, but Jen's kind of helped me in this because I think people feel more welcomed and comfortable discovering a, a true home in, in all its real life activity over something that's so perfect that it's harder to relate to, honestly. It's not about being Chip and Joanna Gaines, it's about being Jesus. It's about the treatment of people, not the place. Number four, this is the last one, and we'll wrap up. Hospitality warrants initiative. Initiative. Jesus was intentional. He calls us to be intentional. It's as simple as that. We talked about those things that hinder us from loving our neighbors uh, at the beginning and, and a few weeks ago. Push those aside and let's get intentional. Do something. Whatever it is that you can do, whatever it is that you can't, ask God to help you do it. Love your literal backyard, next door neighbors. And then go into your jobs, your schools, your coffee shops, your sporting events, your concerts, your bars and restaurants, and love all the neighbors that God allows you to cross paths with there. Continue trying to connect with the eight closest neighbors around you. This is, a, this is kind of a, a last challenge for, for the art of neighboring. Continue trying to connect with the eight closest neighbors over the next few weeks. As you, as you take that magnet, there's more magnets in the lobby if you want to grab one. As you take that, continue connecting with those eight neighbors. Maybe even invite them to church. You don't have to. You can go where they are. I want you to serve them, love them, care for them, minister to them where they are. But if you can't figure out anything to do with them, bring them here. Why not? Go see a movie afterward, it's a great day. Use the block map. Use the block map, it's, it's, a, it's a great little tool. Make the time, get to know their names. All right, get to know them and allow them to get to know you. Ask how you can serve them and then do it. Follow through. Hey, I see that you have a tree down in your backyard. I'll pray for that. No, go. Go help them. 
Find somebody to help them. Come on. Be hospitable out of the overflow of what God is doing in your heart and in your life. If you want to learn a little bit more about the art of neighboring, some of the basic content and ideas over the course of this series have come from a book uh, by that title, The Art of Neighboring, uh, by a guy, guy named Dave Runyon and, and Jay Pathak. And it's great material. So much more in there than we could have ever covered in, in the course of this series. So go check that out if you want. But here's what I want us to do. I want, I want us to do these things. Do these things and watch God show up in our neighborhoods. I am confident, I am so confident that he will amaze you with his faithfulness as we step out in faith and as we trust him in this. I am confident of that. And although we're completing the series this week, we're done with the series after this week, we are far from done with the art of neighboring. This should be a lifestyle for us. This should be something that, that we do constantly because it accomplishes the vision and mission of this church and the vision and mission of being a believer. So we're going to bring it back up. You're going to hear more about it. We're going to share some stuff on social media along the way. We're going to have some more stuff to, to probably give you. We're going to have some challenges. As it gets a little warmer, we're going to give you some stuff to throw a block party. Uh, there's going to be some different things, but we want to encourage you. Continue, continue the art of neighboring far beyond this week, okay? Let me pray over us. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for what you've done through, through your word and, and through, um, through these ideas of hospitality and over the past four weeks, how you've taught us some things and showed us some things, maybe, maybe some deficits in our own life and our hearts as we close the doors, as we, uh, as we pull up the drawbridge, as we block people off. God, I pray that we will no longer do that, God. We ask humbly right now that you would help us to be hospitable that you would maybe even wreck our lives a little bit so that we will be hospitable. May we love others in the way that you love us. We thank you so much for who you are and what you're doing here in Greenwood and beyond. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.